In a moment, we're going to be reading from uh, Psalm 126. And just a little bit of context surrounding that psalm. Psalm 126 is part of a collection of psalms, um, which begins at Psalm 120 to Psalm 134. And they're a collection of songs called the Songs of Ascents. And these psalms are assumed to have been written while uh, Israelites made their annual pilgrimage to Jerusalem for their religious feasts. And as they traveled, there'd be certain stations that the people could rest at and just stop for a bit, and then they would sing together these psalms. One of the more familiar psalms in this, uh, in this part, past, part of the scriptures is Psalm 121. I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. And these psalms or songs would be sung on people's travels. And they're still used for traveling purposes today. These songs of ascents or traveling psalms are applicable for the season of Advent. Because when traveling, maybe just with adults, but for sure with kids, there'd be uh, often the phrase that would be repeated. And Anybody want to give that phrase a shout out? Are we there yet? <laughs> when you're on a journey and you've not yet arrived, there are those tensions and, and anticipation and maybe even some tears. But the journey is important. And Advent has the same things. Christ Jesus has come. And we keep talking about His first coming, which happened 2,000 years ago. And we celebrate Christmas every year, over and over. And so here we are on this journey of discipleship in 2017. And we ask, are we almost there yet? We're on a journey towards a destination. But this journey is important as well. And this journey is filled with tensions and anticipation. Christ has come and, and He will come again, but He's not yet returned. It's like when we pray that line of the Lord's Prayer, Your kingdom come. Your kingdom is already present on this earth, but not in its fullest. So let's read from Psalm 126 this morning. As the Israelites are traveling, singing these words, and let's come to God in prayer first. Lord God, we thank you for this season, Advent season, Christmas season, a season in which again we can continue to celebrate your Son, your gift to us. And we thank you for opportunities to be together as your people. And, and Lord, and read from your word here from this morning from Psalm 126 and what it is that your word is saying to us. So bless the reading of the word. Bless the proclamation of your word. May it not only enter into our ears and into our minds, but down into our hearts. Because we know that joy is not just an emotion. That joy is a state of the heart. And it comes from you. And we get to experience that no matter what circumstances we are in. So Lord, we thank you for Christ. We thank you for his birth. We look forward to uh, his second coming. But bless us as we're on this journey together. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 126. <clears throat> a song of ascents. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. And our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. And then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. And we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord. 
Like streams in a Negev, those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. So this is a third psalm that we've read in this Advent season. We've read from Psalm 80 and 85 and now 126. And each of those psalms have been written under difficult circumstances. Each psalmist has reflected on Israel's past in captivity. The Israelites were carried into exile, taken away from their homeland, brought under an enemy's rule. And decades later, a remnant of exiles returned to their homeland. So during this time in exile, of course, they were away from their homeland. They were away from their places of worship. They were displaced people. And they felt that they were going to live, live their lives like their ancestors centuries earlier. Wandering again in that barren wilderness. The people were in captivity for so long that when they returned, it felt like a dream. As verse 1 states, When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, of Jerusalem, we were like those who dreamed. Kind of probably just standing there like, wake me, is this, is this for real? Pinch me. It might be a dream. Verse 2 continues, our mouths were filled with laughter. Yes, giggling and, and, and chuckling away. And our tongues with songs of joy. And there was joy in the Lord since the Lord had not only led them out of captivity, but he brought them back to their own land. Yeah, their cities had been destroyed. The fields were overgrown. Yet as the psalmist conveys, the people's mouths were filled with laughter. Their tongues were filled with joys, with songs of joy. Again, just imagine the scene of excitement and emotions that are coming, coming with this on their way home. There is a homecoming for sure. And as they shared their joy... And in this case, we're talking about happiness, but they shared their joy among themselves. It was contagious because other nations were looking at them and other nations were saying, the Lord has done great things for them. Other nations were watching these joy-filled Israelites laughing, chuckling, singing songs of joy. Yes, coming out in happiness, but also a state of the heart. They were watching the Israelites praising God as they returned home. And these Israelites were witnesses of God's faithfulness to other people and to other nations. And even with a difficult history, there was reason to be full of joy. And the Lord continued to bless His people. And they not only recognized the blessings of the past, but they recognized the blessings of the present. And they were filled with even more joy. The Lord has restored them. And just as He promised... Once again, promises fulfilled. But as the psalm progresses, the psalmist reflects that only a small remnant of those who were in captivity actually returned back to the land. Many stayed in Babylon and did not return to Israel. Many died in Babylon. Their community was not complete. So here we have it. There appears to be a change of emotion as we read verse 4. There's this laughter, there's this happiness, and yet there's this hurt. And so they pray to the Lord, restore our fortunes. They pray for further restorations of the community of Israel. They pray for their fellow brothers and sisters to perhaps rejoin their community. There is joy, that state of the heart, 
But there is that tension that not everything is fully restored as it should be. There is a loss. And in verse 5, the psalmist refers to sowing in tears. And they will reap with songs of joy. There's still tears. And yet the tone of this psalm remains to be one of joy. And you could probably imagine perhaps even the discouragement, even amongst the joy. The tensions of, of different emotions, and yet we're called to be joyful. The context of this verse must be read in the fact that the people of Israel were in captivity for decades. And here they have returned. And again, the land was overgrown. Things were not the way they were supposed to be. There was much clearing to do. There was plenty of sweat and tears that needed to be poured into this land. And as they were sowing, they wondered how successful the reaping could possibly be. But they continued to sow. And again, not all their family and all their friends were with them. And they continued to work knowing that God was faithful in the past. He is faithful in the present and He will remain faithful in the future. God is in charge. He's in control. He will remain with them through it all. And that puts joy into the heart. Despite the circumstances. Reading through this psalm, studying its context... What Israel had gone through, perhaps it can be compared to what many churches, whether Christian Reformed or, or any other denominations, have gone through. Not to compare the degree of Israel's captivity to the struggles of churches, but every church has its seasons of struggle and challenges. And this psalm can relate to the struggles that the church of Israel went through and what the church today goes through. 1951, that was the beginning of Exeter Christian Reformed Church. So I believe we're in our 67th year of serving God in this town of Exeter. And much has happened over that period. Our church, if you look at it in age, has hit the period of being a senior, over 65 years old. And perhaps some of you have been around for that whole period. And we can thank God for the blessings in the past. We thank God for the blessings in the present. And because of the past and the present, we know we can, we'll be thanking Him for the blessings in the future. And as a congregation, perhaps there have been times that it may have felt like wilderness wandering. There may have times that maybe it felt like captivity. As with any congregation, there's definitely periods of struggle, conflict, hurts, tensions that have made an impact on people's lives and in the life of the church and to the surrounding community. Tears. Even amidst the joy. Perhaps tensions occurred in the early 50s, beginning a new life in Canada for many immigrants. Joy with this new beginning, but tears with, with losing familiarity and family. Perhaps tensions surrounded the building of the original church on Highway 4 or the church on Huron Street. Many blessings, but not without challenges, I'm sure. Or sometimes challenges and tensions in the placement and building of Christian schools in the communities. All blessings from God, but tensions still being created among God's people. And if you recall, a few weeks ago through the message, we talked about tensions in a church in our lives. It's not a bad thing, but it's important that we deal with tensions in a healthy way. 
or the more recent discussions on women in the role of elders, whether in 2007, 2012, or even perhaps 2018. And I understand that there were hurts and frustrations among members. And these hurts and frustrations occurred among all God's people because when one hurts, all hurt. And even over the years, and even recently, we see holes in the body of the church. And we hurt, and we're saddened by people who have left. And we're thankful for the many who have joined the body, and the gifts that God has brought through these newer individuals and families. Joy and tears. And these past struggles are not mentioned to bring up feelings of judgment or to bring back grudges. Because every church has its history. And there are many, so many positive events. And of course, there are part of the history that there's challenging and negative events. The struggles, the times of exile, the wilderness wandering. And of course, hoping that we learn from them all. And not to mention personal struggles and pains that occur among individuals and families. Every individual has his or her season of struggles and trials. Struggles with the health of a loved one or the death of a loved one. Tragic accidents which lives ended abruptly. Struggles or conflict with friends or family members. Struggles with sexual orientation. Struggles with addictions. The list can go on. There are struggles, pains, hurts, and trials. Every church has them. Every individual has them. And they cannot always be easily forgotten. And we need to ask God, what are you trying to teach us personally and as a church body. Rick Warren in The Purpose Driven Life states, God never wastes a hurt. In fact, your greatest ministry will most likely come out of your greatest hurt. Warren continues to say that God intentionally allows you to go through painful experiences to equip you for ministry to others. And doesn't that come right out of Scripture? 2 Corinthians 1, 3-4. Praise be to the God. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Who comforts us in all our troubles. So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. He's going to use our challenges. Our past challenges are part of our present. Our past challenges become part of our ministry. Our past forms how we do ministry today and how we're going to do ministry in the future, whether it be our successes or our mistakes. And this doesn't mean, mean that we need to live in the past, but our past shapes us and forms us. And God doesn't want us to look at the past challenges in order to continue grudges or to remain people who, who use the past to be able to just complain in the present. And if you're this kind of person, then just stop the negativity and complaints because it affects the church. And it affects your family, it affects yourself, it affects your relationship with the Lord. But our struggles and our trials will either destroy us or they will transform us. And our past will never leave us the same. And destruction or transformation, the choice is yours. We have the choice to allow the, the impact in our past to change us negatively or positively in the present and future.
And God wants us to choose transformation. He wants us to be people who have joy. We have joy because we have hope and assurance that the Lord will continue his restoration process among his church, among his people. We have joy because our God can do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine in our hurts and in our pains and challenges and mistakes. You see, we do make mistakes. We make mistakes. We're not the mistake. Being reminded of the past, the blessings and the challenges, we can see God's faithfulness and we can be filled with laughter and sing songs of joy for today and for tomorrow. Our past is a reminder to the church, to God's people, that the Lord will continue to carry out His blessings, that He will continue to carry out His blessings and His promises through His Son, Jesus Christ. By looking at our past, we can see how sometimes broken things have been restored into beauty by the grace of God. Jesus is referred to the man of sorrows based on the verses in Isaiah 53. He was pierced. He was wounded. He was punished to death. There were tears at his crucifixion, but there was joy in the morning of his resurrection. Tears turned into joy. What the world does not need is a group or is a church and a group of Christians that appear hopeless and in despair. The world thrives and celebrates on those kind of things. Seeing Christians in despair. Seeing dysfunctional Christians. Christians that, that argue and bicker in, in, among themselves. That doesn't look attractive. The media loves to report to a hurting church or hurting Christians and just kind of leave it at that. And we're to call to portray ourselves as joyful. And the best way to do that is to be joy-filled. It's not about putting a mask on and looking like the Christian that we're supposed to be. It's about actually being the authentic Christian we're supposed to be. It's being the church that we're called to be. It's not a fake joy, but it's a true joy that can only be found in Jesus Christ. Does that mean we can't be hurting and sad? Of course not. Because we're not talking about the joy of the emotion. We're talking about the joy of the state of the heart. And that doesn't leave. We will always have joy. Because we'll always have hope and peace. They're the first two candles that were lit in the Advent season. Hope and peace. We have Christ in us, and He wants to transform us from the inside out. We have Christ as the head of this church. He is the Lord and our Savior. And we have much reason to have joy in the Lord. And sometimes we do come to church, and things are bothering us. And when things are bothering us, the best thing that we can do is turn to the Lord, as the Israelites did. Restore our fortunes. Pray. Restore us, Lord. Pray for restoration. Just as the Israelites did, we need to ask God to restore our hearts, to restore our church. We need to thank God that He continues His restoration as we anticipate the excitement and joy of the day of His final restoration when Jesus returns, when He comes again. But until Jesus comes again, sure, there's going to be tension. 
And we do ask the question, are we almost there yet? And yet, we remain joyful. And we continue to work to increase and grow the kingdom of God, even with tears and sweat. The Israelites prayed a prayer to restore our fortunes. Just as with Israel, not all the exiles returned to the land. So it is with the church. Not all people make their way back to the church or to the church. But we need to pray as Israel did. Restore our fortunes. Restore our community. Pray for those who left the church and who do not worship with any church community. Pray for our families, our friends, our brothers and sisters who need to return to the church. They need Christ just as much as we do. And as we continue to reach out to those who were once part of the church community, we also continue to sow seeds among our community of Exeter and surrounding areas. We need to go beyond our pews. As the psalmist said, those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. And this is not implying that we're no longer to be joyful. No, sowing seeds with tears is sowing with sweat and tears. It's working hard for the kingdom of God and living today with the hope and the assurance that the Lord will provide a bountiful harvest. We sow seeds in God's strength with the power of the Holy Spirit in us. So pray for those in our community and in our towns who do not yet know Christ. Share the word of God with those who need to hear it. Go out sowing in joy. We can be a great witness when we express the joy that we have in Christ Jesus. We can be a great witness when we reflect that we are a joy-filled congregation, body of God's people. Don't forget, the opposite's also true. We have a choice to lead to destruction or to lead to transformation. And destruction will be a terrible witness. But yes, like any other church, we have a church history of struggles. And some have a personal history of struggles and fighting struggles with physical strength or addictions. But people of God know that Christ is with you. He is there. There's restoration, there's healing, there's freedom, and we can shout out with joy for what God has done for us through Jesus. For what he's done for us in the past, what he will do for us again in the future, he will return, and what he's doing for us right now on our journey of discipleship, even when we say, are we almost there yet? God has graced us with this new era And we too can proclaim to one another and to the world, the Lord has done great things for us. And we are filled with joy. Together we say, Amen. Let's pray. God Almighty, merciful Father, gracious Savior, empowering Spirit, we give you thanks for restoring us and bringing us back into a relationship with you through your Son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, even in the midst of our blessings and our challenges, our sins and our hurts, you're still going to use us to bring you glory and to be a witness to the nations. So restore our fortunes. Increase our joy even when there is tears. And may we continually be reminded of what the birth of Jesus means for our life today and for eternity. 
And may we respond in gratitude and praise and with songs of joy. Lord, restore your people. Restore your church. Bring others back into a relationship with you or into a new relationship with you. Use us for your purposes to share the joy in our hearts. To share the joy of the gospel message despite the circumstances of this world and our lives and all that's going on. Hear our prayers. In the name of our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.